I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code BOOKCLUB10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too. You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geiser and Adrienne Frost. This month, we're reading Uniquely Human by Dr. Barry Prezant. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about Chapter 4 from Uniquely Human by Dr. Barry Prezant. Uh, we will just be calling him Dr. Barry from now on. I have to stop and think about how to say his last name every time I say it. And that is very mentally taxing. So, <laughs> Dr. Barry, it is. Um, before we get to that, we are going to play a game that we haven't played in a little while called Show Me You Know Me. So we're going to do that and then take a quick break and then come back with chapter four from Uniquely Human. All right, Laura. So I'm going to go first. Okay. I like this because it is so specific. (laughs) Something I just have to know about you. When I am eating my favorite meal, but the portion size is huge, much bigger than usual, do you? A, devour it all as if you have not eaten in days. B, eat as much as you can, but save some if needed, knowing it might not be quite as good later on. C, savor it and enjoy it at a slow pace ultimately eating it all or d eat according to my calorie count or what's considered healthy okay if it is my favorite food yeah. which is my mom's macaroni and cheese Ooh, breadcrumb topping crunchy breadcrumb topping yep oh I think, yeah. have i talked about it before or <laughs> no i just know the kind <laughs> it is everyone in my family's favorite thing ever oh my and God. it is like a race amongst all of us to get as much into our bodies as possible before it runs out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like if I'm talking about my favorite food and I will make myself sick on my mom's mac and cheese. Yes. So it's a devour it all as if you have not yeamed in days. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I am more of a, I'm more of a B situation. Like I will eat as much as I can, but I'm going to save it knowing it's not going to be as good. For example, Last night, we went to this restaurant. This is not my very favorite food, but it is my favorite food from this restaurant. And it is a soup. It is cream of broccoli soup. And they only have it on Wednesdays. So it's like I have to go to this restaurant on Wednesday, get the soup. And I always get the bowl because I'm like, I'm not going to just get a cup. $2 more, get a bowl. It's delish. But I filled up on an appetizer 
And like, I could not eat as much as I wanted. It was just heartbreaking. So I took it home. You know, I had them box it up. Yeah. But I know it's not going to be as good. But, you know, I tried my best. What can I do? See, I feel like soup, well, depending on the soup, is great reheated at home. I think it'll still be good. Yeah. All right, Adrian. All right. I haven't even decided what my answer is to this, but... When a stranger's walking in front of me with a piece of toilet paper dragging on the bottom of their shoe, I A, alert mm-hmm. them, B, say nothing and ignore it, C, follow the person and try to step on the offending paper to remove it, or D, <laughs> laugh to myself in amusement and do nothing. A, I try to just be helpful. Like, <laughs> okay, listen, the situation of like stalking them and trying to step on it, no, good God. Oh, you know what? I just realized I didn't answer like what I thought you would do for the last one. Oh, I forgot. Oh, we're playing the game wrong. I forgot that's how you oh. do it. Okay, so okay, you, the next one. We'll okay, do it. you will always alert them. Yeah, for the most part, unless maybe it feels okay. like super extra awkward or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but to be like creeping up behind them trying to step on it, and if they turned around and caught me, no thanks. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's probably mm. what I would do: is the creep up. I want to help this person. Mm. I'm gonna make sure this gets right. handled, but I don't want that awkward exchange where you tell them they have the toilet paper, even though it could just be a very it's not like they were going to the bathroom and, you know, it could just have gotten stuck at any moment. Do you think it's embarrassing to tell somebody that? Embarrassing for you and for them? Yeah, I feel very embarrassed about it. Okay. I'd rather take it off secretly, but I would like like the people around to know that I'm a good person that would do that. So then everybody will be cheering for me, you know, silently. <laughs> yes. But I don't have to have the awkward exchange. <laughs> Sometimes I see videos, you know, on Instagram or TikTok. Like things that are awkward that shouldn't be, but are like deeply embarrassing. Yeah. And one of them was like carrying a school project onto school, like into school, like when you were like in middle school. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like you have like a diorama and you're like walking with it and you're just like dead inside. <laughs> or like returning the grocery cart. <laughs> Okay, I don't have a problem returning a grocery cart. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I was watching it. I was like, oh my god, every one of them. Um, like, I have to look that up because I can. I feel the carrying a project one so deeply. <laughs> I know. I, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, that's it. Okay, two things. First, the grocery cart. Yeah. Have you ever been the hero who saves the rolling grocery cart that's going out into traffic? Or is blocking like people. Oh. I was once at uh, Vaughn's and one was headed out towards the street, like where cars were going to be hitting, like driving fast. And I ran out and stopped it. And somebody said something like, oh, thank you. And I was like, oh, good deed. No problem. <laughs> And then another time at a Walmart, one was rolling like it, the way it rolled out was crazy. It rolled from up in front of the Walmart down the sidewalk, went down into the parking lot off the curb into the parking lot and then was just like slowly rolling across and all these people were trying to come and go runaway cart. And I had to so I like stopped with my cart, went over, grabbed it, you know, and then somebody while I was putting my groceries in the car pulled up and said, I saw what you did. Good for you. Oh my God. When you get like a congratulations, like some acknowledgement from a stranger and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> okay. I found some things. Okay. I'm going to have to kind of go through them, but some of them really hit. Okay. Walking back from your turn after you've bowled. 
you're bowling, you bowl, and then you have to walk back. Oh, if you like don't know if you should do a little celebration or like a, oh, shucks. <laughs> okay, I feel like that one, getting up yes. to throw something away in the middle of a meeting. Yeah. Like, is that just like, are you dying inside? <laughs> when everybody sings happy birthday to you. Oh, I mean, also anybody singing, what about someone singing who's good at singing, but like a small audience? Oh, I, I once was in my friend's dorm room and she was like, oh my gosh, you have to hear her sing about her friend. And it's just the three of us. And she just like belts out this song. I felt oh, so no. uncomfortable. I can't, I can't do that. Or if somebody <laughs> plays a song for you, like I wrote this song for you on the guitar and you're like, oh, and then they play it and you're just like, what do I do? Do I, does my face do? <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, maybe we'll come back with some more. Oh, those are so good. Because I remember just being like, yes, I feel that. Okay. I got one more related to the toilet paper. Okay. What about when people have stuff in their teeth? And you have to tell them. Why is that so hard? My aunt got so mad at me. She had like a little bit of toothpaste on her mouth Uh and I didn't tell her. Oh. I was like, I don't care. I don't know. You know? Yeah. And then she like went to the bathroom and came back and was like, how long have I been like that? And you didn't say anything to me. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know what to say. Like, it's just a thing. It would go away. <laughs> she was like, anytime that happens, you have to tell me. Like, I can't let me walk around like that. And I was you like, know, you're just in my you house. You know the best thing is to just, as soon as you see it, to say something. But then if somebody is like talking a lot and like laughing, you're like, no, it's gone on too long. And the, once I tell them, they're going to wonder, like, how long I've known I've known about it. I don't know. It's like this battle oh, inside no, thank you. about whether to tell someone. I hate Ugh. that. <laughs> I once went on, like, a second date with a guy who was quite a bit older than me when I was doing online dating. Mm. And we were at a fancy yeah. restaurant. And he was talking and had mm. food on his face, like, way high, like, on his cheek. I mean, it reminded me of, like, my grandpa, you know, like, just being so unaware because he had, like – Unaware, yeah. <laughs> and oh, no, you're like, you're trying I to told signal. him, I said, You have something right here. And he got, I mean, the embarrassment was like, We can never go on a date again, right? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, let me do one more. When somebody accidentally calls you by the wrong name, Laura, mm-hmm. or a nickname that you don't like, oh. Jenny versus Jennifer, do you A, kindly correct them in real time, B, let it slide, no biggie. C, pull them aside and let them know you don't like that name. Or D, call them by the wrong name to make a point. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to guess for you that you would do A, kindly correct them in real time. Yeah. Like, does anybody call you Lori or something? Lauren. Lauren is the Lauren. Yeah, I have a name that is so close to another name. Yeah, you got, that's one where you have to do it right away because if you wait, Mm-mm. then they look at you like, have I been calling you Lauren this whole time and you haven't said anything? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> no, it cannot be a let it slide situation. Although that can feel incredibly mm-hmm. awkward too, correcting somebody. I don't know why, but yeah, I'm cringing inside. Okay, I'm going to guess for you that also you would correct someone right away, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you are also an interesting case where I know <laughs> your name to me is Adrian, like that is your name, but I know you go by Annie. <laughs> yeah, so it's like at some point I was like, I'm gonna make this distinction. Like Adrian just feels so much more professional. I'll just go by Adrian at work and school, I guess, which is why you know me as Adrian. But then like my family nickname has always been Annie. 
me and my sisters all have long names and short nicknames, but now it's kind of confusing because there's some overlap. So some people do know me as Adrian. Some people know me as Annie. And then sometimes I think they they don't think we're talking about the same person. Now it's just gone on too long. I don't know how to correct. <laughs> I, know. I mean, I can remember so distinctly being in the car with you and your ex-husband on the way to Ludafisk dinner and him calling you Annie. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then <laughs> oh. everything shifted in your life. You're like, this is a paradigm shift. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> well, yeah, I get it. Okay. Thank you for hanging in there with us. We hope that you learned something new. Um, stay tuned as we discuss chapter four from Uniquely Human by Dr. Barry. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G. SLP? I am such a huge fan and I'm here to sing her praises. <laughs> Since I'm a teletherapist, I use Boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items. And her lid comb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing. And I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a connect for donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. <laughs> the best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. Her materials are well thought out, evidence-based and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura. Go check them out today at Laura G. SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to theslpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at theslpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP Book Club. So chapter four is about trust, fear, and control. So Dr. Barry shares a story in the beginning about a boy named Derek, and he would always visit Derek's family to check in on him in the month of September. So he would give it a couple of weeks after school started. But this one time when Derek was eight, he visited a couple weeks later than normal. And right when he showed up, he could tell something was wrong. Something was really bothering Derek. And when he asked, Derek asked, why are you visiting in October instead of in September? So even though it was only a couple of weeks later than normal, to Derek, it seemed like a violation of the orderly rules of his universe. This is an example of a breach of trust and showed that Derek knew how to reason out and wonder whether he could rely on Dr. Barrett. After that happened, even though it seemed like such a inconsequential thing for Derek, it made him wonder if I can't rely on you for this, can I rely on you for other things? And for many people who are on the spectrum, autism can be best understood as a disability of trust. 
So autistic people face large obstacles of trusting their body, trusting the world around them, and trusting other people. It's common for autistic people to be interested in things that seem really reliable, like math or washers and dryers, which I talked about in the last episode, <laughs> instead of the more intimidating and perplexing social interactions, which can be really nuanced and difficult to predict. One adult who has Asperger's said, the opposite of anxiety isn't calm, it's trust. And many people are anxious. You know, I know a lot of people personally who have anxiety, and it's not just autistic people. And anxiety can cause us to react with fear and seek ways to control our lives, surroundings, and relationships. But these behaviors are just more extreme in autistic people. That quote from that person with autism really resonated with me. I mean, thinking about the opposite of anxiety being trust, because I'm a highly anxious person. My sister is not. And I'm thinking, she trusts that everything will always work out. Like, she just is kind of that way. Like she's Mm. like, it'll be okay. You know, and that is, it's just trust. It's not that she's calm. It's just that like, she has trust in how things are going to go. Whereas I'm always like, what's going to happen? Yeah. So it is just, it's a beautiful way to put it. I was thinking about that too, because I know when we were doing Smart But Scattered, we talked about our sisters and how they both have flexibility as one of their strengths. And my sister and I were just talking about this the other night where I was also sharing like, I feel really stressed out. I have a lot of anxiety about the future. And she was like, Oh, just be like me. I'm never stressed out. She's like, it just is what it is. And it's fine. And I was like, you make it sound so easy, you know? Yeah. But I do that connection between control and anxiety really struck me. And I've been thinking about that. So this, this chapter was really good for me. It made me think about a lot of things. Um, There is a certain level of distrust that happens with autistic people and their bodies. So often autistic people deal with motor and movement disturbances that are involuntary. It would make you feel like you were going crazy if you couldn't control your body's movements. So I understand that. And speech production can also be impacted by motor and movement disturbances. So AAC can be helpful for these people And one autistic person pointed out that only in their early 20s were they able to really start controlling their body enough to spell out on a letter board. And then that turned into working on whole body control. So sometimes it can take quite a while for a person to kind of get their body under their own control. And Dr. Barry shared a story about a third grader who showed him two drawings he had made. One was of a normal brain and the other was of his brain. The drawing of the normal brain was really orderly and tidy and a lot of rows and columns. And the drawing of his brain was chaotic. There were different sized areas. Apparently, he showed his brain stem and said that was the source of his cramps. And the biggest part of the brain was the crazy part, which he said was the part that stopped him from controlling his own thoughts and behaviors. So this was his way of expressing that he just couldn't trust his own brain. There are some other examples of things that make it hard for autistic children to trust the world surrounding them. One example he gave was going from daylight savings time to standard time. So all of a sudden for kids, it can seem like, whoa, we used to eat dinner when it was light outside. Now we're eating dinner when it's dark. And it's like they can't trust what day, like what time of day, what what meal am I eating can feel so disorienting the parents have just changed the rules without telling them. And it's really disruptive for their routine as well. And he also talked about visiting a child who had just taken a trip to New York with his family. So when Dr. Barry asked how the trip was, 
The only thing the child could list was every bit of traffic, every delay they had during the entire trip. And he mostly only remembered the unexpected things that didn't happen the way they were supposed to, which was examples for him of how he couldn't trust the world. And another example is Dr. Barry was a counselor at a summer camp for children with developmental disabilities. And he had told all the kids that they were going to go to an amusement park. And there was one child in particular, Dennis, who was autistic and very into amusement parks and roller coasters. And he had been really looking forward to the trip for days. And then the bus pulls up and the parking lot is empty. And the bus driver just blurted out, like, looks like the park is closed. And then Dennis flew into a rage, ripped off Dr. Barry's shirt, scratched him, had a full-blown meltdown. And normally he was a happy boy, but when he had a meltdown, he just went after the people he was closest to. And in this case, you know, he was experiencing a lot of anxiety, fear, and confusion. And he had been made a promise about that day. And now he was disappointed and his expectation was violated, like really suddenly for him. So this situation taught Dr. Barry an important lesson about how extremely dysregulated people can take out their frustration and confusion on the people they trust the most, and that breaches of trust can come in many different forms. Autistic people also struggle significantly with trusting others. So neurotypical people are able to figure out somebody's intentions and behavior by reading body language and facial expressions. Roz Blackburn, who we've heard from before, explains that because it's so difficult for her to predict the behavior of other people who aren't on the spectrum, what they do comes across as very sudden and threatening for her. So not knowing who to trust or what a person will do next can cause autistic people to live in a constant state of vigilance. They're going through life in a very heightened, hypervigilant state of alert, which causes them to be wary of every person and object. So this is really exhausting and can make it hard to focus on anything else. All of the autistic person's energy is going towards keeping their defenses up. So this was really making me think about Beyond Behaviors by Dr. Delahook. And, you know, that would be an example of somebody who's on the red pathway. But some autistic people can also move and react really slowly, seem less alert, under aroused, oblivious to people and things around them. And that's a good example of being on the blue pathway. So even though it looks like these kids are under the radar, they're really internalizing their anxiety instead of directing it outwards. This is once again, these two books just go hand in hand. It's like Beyond Behaviors kind of fills in this, the information that Dr. Barry doesn't yet have or is, you know, he's describing something, but we know like when I read that paragraph, I wrote down a note like, oh my gosh, he described the blue pathway. Yeah. <laughs> These like I know. underreactive kids. And we know Completely. that it's like actually extreme threat shutdown. Right. Fear is often an emotion that many autistic people feel, especially those with more hyperactive profiles. So when trust is broken, it triggers fear. Dr. Barry shared a story about a young boy who was refusing to go to recess and he kind of looked in it, investigated a little bit. And the reason was that this child was terrified of butterflies. And there were some bushes on the playground that attracted butterflies. So although butterflies don't really seem terrifying, for this child, they were really unpredictable. And because of where his developmental level was, he could not reason that they wouldn't hurt him, even if they landed on him. 
And we don't know what happened in his past. Maybe there was something that happened where a butterfly landed on his face and he couldn't get it off, like something scary. So the, his fear was basically just a way of trying to keep himself safe. And Dr. Barry helped him to overcome his fear by giving him a sense of control through spending some time with paper butterflies and pretending to shoo it away so he could do that in a real life scenario and reading books about butterflies to understand that they weren't going to hurt him. Dr. Barry gave another example of a boy named Ned. So Ned's class was going to go on a field trip that involved taking a ferry. And when the teacher told the class, the class got really excited and they were talking about all different questions they had. What if there are really big waves? What would happen if they saw a whale? And this caused Ned's mind to just think about all sorts of things. And one of those things was the Titanic. So he became preoccupied with fear and refused to go on the trip. They tried to calm his fears by telling him that, you know, on the boat, you're going to have a life jacket and there are lifeboats in case there was a problem in which he was like a problem, you know, and that only made him feel more anxious. So the approach that Dr. Barry took was to focus on how much fun Ned would have with his classmates, how exciting it would be, all the different things that he was going to see, and the concept of being brave and having courage. So they knew that they could not force him to go. So they really gave him a choice, deciding if he wanted to go on the trip or he could stay home with his mom. And in the end, he chose to be brave and go on the trip and ended up taking a lot of pride in his decision. And now he knew that he could trust others and that that was part of being brave. So it can be confusing for parents to think about how their child can have such paralyzing fear about something that seems safe, like butterflies or statues when they seem to have no fear of dangerous things like climbing on top of the roof or jumping off something high. Some autistic children and adults seem fearless in these situations because they actually are. So if a child's climbing onto the roof, it's not because she's weighed out the options and considered the consequences. It's just because she's curious and thinks that she can see different things from up there. A butterfly might seem frightening because she can't control it to her, but the thought of falling to the ground from the roof just doesn't even occur to her. When our sense of trust is challenged and we feel scared or anxious, it's natural to try to exert control. It can seem like autistic people are just trying to be controlling, but if you can figure out the underlying motive, it's obvious that many of these behaviors are just strategies to cope with anxiety or dysregulation. Professionals that try hard to seize control from autistic people aren't helping, they're just causing increased dysregulation by interfering with their strategies that they can use to stay well-regulated. Talking at length about areas of deep interest is one way that autistic people can try to exert control in social situations where they are unable to predict what another person might say or ask of them. So it can help with the unpredictability of open-ended conversations. And some autistic people can react in the opposite way by just not talking at all. So Dr. Barry shared an example of an 11-year-old girl who had moved to a new school. She never spoke or smiled at all at school. And her mom shared that, you know, she could speak at home. She did. She was joyful. She laughed. But not speaking at school was just her way of trying to exert some control in a situation that was causing her anxiety. She was still figuring out who or what she could trust in the new situation. And her mom instinctively knew that the school staff should not try to force her to talk. And Dr. Barry suggested that the staff work with the student to build trusting relationships. And eventually she did begin to talk more as she felt more comfortable and trust was established. So this is a good example of selective mutism and 
really shows that selective mutism is not always a speech and language issue or disorder. It can really be a symptom of anxiety. So the need for control also can be a big challenge for autistic people in the form of diet. So there are some children who only eat food of one color or who won't eat food if even a little bit has touched something else on their plate. These preferences can be attributed to sensory challenges, like maybe a specific texture, temperature, smell, or taste. And choices of food and rituals around eating are ways of exerting control. So Dr. Barry also told a story of one camper that he had at that summer camp where another counselor said, don't give that camper anything with mayonnaise. And Dr. Barry was distracted one day and put some potato salad in front of him and the camper dumped it on his head. And Dr. Barry, who's always very sweet and understanding, said, you know, this was not an aggressive act. This was just his way of exerting control and expressing his preference. So autistic people can also try to control within their relationships. And he shared a little story about a boy who was acting extra clingy towards his friend and trying to boss him around and kind of control his behavior. And when Dr. Barry looked into it, it turned out that the child's dad was in the hospital. And so when you find out the motive, right, he was really disrupted in his routine at home. His mom was going to the hospital, whatever was happening. And so he was trying to exert control wherever he could. Building trusting relationships is the key to helping autistic people deal with the world that seems confusing, unpredictable, and overwhelming. So autistic people often deal with misunderstandings, either misunderstanding other people or when other people misunderstand them. And the more this happens, the less the person trusts other people and the more likely it is that they're going to shut down or just disconnect. It can feel hard to try for them. And this is why it's important for other people to put in the effort to build trusting relationships. So rather than demanding that the autistic person change, we need to change first. And when we can change in a way that provides the right amount of support, then the autistic person can change too, because there is a growing foundation of trust in the relationship. By constantly giving the message that an autistic person needs to change, we're telling them they're not getting it right and they're screwing it up. And in this way, we're affecting their self-esteem and ultimately their trust. So to the autistic child, it feels like they can't trust other people to offer understanding and support for them. This can cause anxiety and also anger. Unfortunately, this can be even worse for minimally speaking or non-speaking people because others assume that they're less aware and in more need of being controlled. There are some things we can do to help autistic people form trusting relationships. Some of these things are acknowledging attempts to communicate, which can help build trusting relationships and let the autistic person feel that the other person hears them. So we really need to strive to listen, acknowledge, and respond when autistic people are speaking. We can also practice shared control to build self-determination. So instead of trying to impose control, it's important to offer choices to help give the autistic person a voice in planning schedules, activities, and significant parts of their life. If the autistic person feels respected and that they have a sense of power over their own life, then they're going to feel more trusting of the people around them. And we can also acknowledge the individual's emotional state. So when autistic people are emotionally dysregulated, they can engage in behavior that appears inappropriate, aggressive, unsafe. So we should stop and ask ourselves what the person is feeling at the moment and then what we can do to lessen their anxiety. 
And if we respond accordingly, we can alleviate their stress and build trust. We can also be dependable, reliable, and clear. So because autistic people find social situations confusing, we need to take the time and make the effort to really explain social rules and expectations and why they exist. So we don't want to just state the rules because the rules don't really make sense to them. We need to explain why. And if we do that, it can uh, eliminate some of those resentful feelings that they might feel and this resistance to following the rules. It also shows them greater respect when we explain things. And when we're clear about our intentions and consistent, we can help to instill a sense of trust. And then the last thing we can do is celebrate success. So too often we pay too much attention to what's going on, what is challenging and what's hard. And it can be hard to trust someone who's constantly telling you no, providing negative comments and criticisms, or just trying to change or fix you. So when we focus on success, we help to build self-esteem and help the person to trust us, others, and the world. So overall, I really like this chapter. As I said, it helped me to kind of understand, you know, to view these controlling behaviors through another lens as this isn't them trying to be non-compliant or willful. This is really about trying to control their environment when their environment feels really unpredictable and scary at times. So I'm definitely going to keep that in mind moving forward for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I've talked about it before that this book came to me and I read it the first time at a time when I really needed it. And now reading this chapter, I remember that specifically I had a student that was just like this girl where she came to a new school and stopped talking. I think I've told you before, stopped talking and stopped eating. Mm. And I remember reading this chapter and being like, ah, <laughs> you know, right. like understanding how scared she must have been, you know, after going to the same school for a long, yeah. long time, suddenly being at a new one. Right. And then also that that was the only way that she felt she could control things. You know, yeah. this, this book definitely helped me that year, especially. Definitely. All right. Well, we hope that you enjoyed learning about control and fear and trust with us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye, Laura. Bye, Adrian. At the SLP Book Club, our mission is to learn, grow, and connect with other SLPs and educators. If you love what we're doing, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. This helps other SLPs find the show so our community can grow even stronger. We appreciate you so much and hope you keep listening and reading along with us.